0: Hey everybody, this is episode 137 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas with a special rogue guest. Jen Harney is joining us. How are you doing today, Jen?
1: I'm tired, but I'm here. I'm doing good. Present, present.
0: (laughs) Jen was also on episode 16 where we talked about women and running. We talked about lots of fun things on there like periods and stuff. So, if you want to go back and listen to Jen, you can. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Jen is one of our coaches here at Rogue and one of our primary curriculum writers who helps write our master programming for our Rogue groups that guides how we structure training now for groups all over the U.S. here with Austin, Dallas, and New York. So... Excited to have you on, Jen. Before we start, and I think we gave a little bit of background when you were on before, but it's been a few episodes. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's get a little background on you as a coach. Okay. How did you get to this place with us as a coach?
1: Uh, let's see. I started in 2003 coaching high school track and cross country at a 4A school in Fort Worth, an inner city school. And then uh, moved to Round Rock and coached there briefly and then started coaching on my own and eventually worked at Luke's Locker um, and developed training for them and did a bunch of various things as a training dr- director here in Austin. And then you hired me 2014.
0: Five years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's crazy
1: it is crazy um but yeah so
0: why did you want to get into it
1: into coaching oh because I love what running has brought to my life um, and I wanted to share this sport with so many other people and create a love for running for a lifetime and not just for a small period but create runners for life
0: and now you're coaching with us yeah. in Cedar Park. You lead our team road group that trains out of Cedar Park. What does it mean for you now to coach adult athletes? Cause you started with high school level. So now you're coaching adult athletes. Yeah. Do you see differences or how mm-hmm. is, how is it?
1: I mean, there are, yes, there are differences, but coaching is just coaching and running is running. So I don't really think there are a ton of differences, um, the sport's different. I coach marathoners mostly now. And trying to get them to do anything short is always a challenge. Whereas in high school, to get kids to do anything long was a challenge. <laughs> so that's reversed. Um, fair difference. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's... Coaching is coaching in my book. And it's very similar. Um, people have goals and they want to meet their goals. And most runners are pretty ambitious. Um, So I feel like a lot of times I'm holding reins, mostly, with the adults that I coach now. Trying to pull them back a little bit. Pull them back, (laughs) keep them from overdoing it? Yes.
0: I know that feeling. Yep. So, So awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. I think one of the things I can say about you, Jen, is that you are a real student of the sport. Not just as a fan, but also as a coach. And you take your craft in... Writing curriculum and workouts and schedules really, really seriously. And it's inspiring for me. So, glad you're on our team for sure. What we're going to do today is actually talk about building a training plan for a marathon. I actually got this as a question from a listener who said, Hey, would love to have you talk about that. You talked a lot about macro cycles and how you structure big blocks of time in your training, but we haven't talked a lot about how we structure an individual cycle beyond talking about the nuances between different levels of training. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to use uh, our recently kicked off fall marathon curriculum as a backdrop for that. So for those that are training with us in Austin, Dallas, or New York, then you'll recognize some of the things that we're talking about, but it also hopefully give you some context on why we structure the training the way we do. And so I'm excited about that. We'll get a little bit more into the details on how to build a plan and what's the the science and art behind that. Before we go there though, I had a listener question that I actually wanted to answer with you, okay. Jen. So we're going to read a I'm going to read an email here, then we'll kind of banter a little bit about this question from a listener from St. Louis. His name is Ben. He says, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and its, and its various sub-podcasts. I am a 145 half marathoner and we'll just say a quote-unquote slow marathoner. Oh. I'm also a 35-year-old Army vet, teacher and assistant, girls track coach in St. Louis. Per the pod, I am working with a long-term goal of qualifying for Boston by the time I turn 40. My plan particularly as i have a 5 year old and a 3 year old is to focus on building a base getting faster and knocking down from my my half marathon times over the next 2 to 3 years before ramping up for another marathon i'm currently running just under 30 miles a week in 6 days which includes a long run some easy recovery days a tempo run that has sneakily become more of a pace run and intervals i plan to increase mileage up to 40 miles per week for a few of the peak weeks in this cycle Every runner is different. I totally get it. Generally, however, do you prescribe what Hal Higdon refers to as a pace run in your weekly workouts? I'm sure you know what that is, but he Mm -hmm. suggests a run each week at actual half marathon pace. My goal is that I just don't have the discipline not to do almost. Sorry, let me back up. My concern is that I just don't have the discipline not to almost do this with my tempo runs. Curious about your thoughts regarding more than two quality workouts per week, or how and if you see something like this making sense. So I'm going to take that to you first, Jen. Oh
1: my goodness, well, that's a lot of information. First, uh, so let's see: running thirty miles a week, forty as a max. He's training for a half. I'm just trying. Yes, I didn't read correct. the email, so yes, I'm, okay. he's training for a half. And um, he's, he's asking about basically do
0: doing. a a workout of you each week at actual half marathon pace, which
1: in addition to two other workouts is
0: in addition to his tempo runs and it looks like another interval workout.
1: Right. That seems like a lot of intensity with a low volume. So I would, I would probably, I think people should do pace work as, a race gets closer. Um, maybe the last eight to ten weeks of your training, doing pace work for whatever goal race you have. Um, and I would probably schedule that in a long run uh, to simulate more of what it's going to feel like in the race. And but not every week. Um, probably every third week. And then I would also during that week not due to other quality workouts. And I'd also be curious what his tempo paces are compared to what the race pace is, because those are usually very similar depending yeah, on, tempo um, in, I mean, at I'm assuming in, it's probably closer to his 10K.
0: Yeah, tempo, in, at least in my vernacular as a coach, is, should be about half marathon effort.
1: Except If he's doing lactic threshold, then if he's a 145 half marathoner, then his is probably closer to 10K. Then I would wonder what the other quality workout is. If it's, he said, an interval workout, is that, like, just speed work, 300s, or what exactly that looks like. But, I mean, I would do pace work just towards the end and probably in the the long runs um, and not do two other speed workouts that week going into that.
0: Yes, I completely agree with that. I mean, in my opinion here, Ben, if I were to jump on my (laughs) podcast soapbox, I would rather see you build your mileage to a higher level (laughs) than add a third workout where you're running half marathon pace during the week. You're going to get more bang for Mm -hmm. your buck out of that time spent than you will be on running another run at half marathon pace because you risk... If you do that too early in the cycle, you risk actually overtraining Mm -hmm. and injury. And when you get to really needing that in the race specific phase, which we'll actually talk about later in this podcast, then it shouldn't be done every week. As you said, Jen, it could be done every third week inside a quality long run. Right where you're perhaps not doing your tempo run that week and instead doing that inside your long run to get that race-specific work under your belt. But in advance of that, personally, I would rather see you get to a little higher mileage level running more easy runs to do so and then maybe adding in that half-marathon-specific work in the final phase of your training right before your taper. We call that sort of the race-specific phase, which is when yeah. you're per a half marathon six to eight weeks out, so to speak, from your goal race when you really want to dial into your pace. Yeah. Before that, you've got to layer the foundation down, and until you do that, you're not really ready to, to do that kind of work. One thing that's interesting is that it seems like you, if you look at a lot of online schedules, they have at least two workouts a week. It's fairly common to Mm -hmm. see some sort of interval workout, which is more VO2 max oriented and then a tempo run built into every single week. And that's not the case really in our schedules as we'll talk about in a second, because we think really that much quality is too much Mm -hmm. for an athlete that's still building an aerobic foundation that could be something that might make sense for a more experienced athlete who already has a strong aerobic foundation. But most people can get away with one quality workout a week, mm-hmm. occasionally adding a second quality workout a week inside the long run in order to, as we just mentioned, simulate those race conditions. So that's what I would say, Ben, is if you are going to do a pace run, save that for a couple of quality work, a couple of long runs late in your session and in your, in your season and instead stick to, if you're following that Hal Higdon schedule, stick to the workouts that he prescribes as is. Make sure you're running easy otherwise. And if I really had my preference, I would back off on some of those either interval or tempo run workouts so that you can add volume safely early in the cycle in order to really maximize the aerobic foundation. And to me, that's especially true for somebody who has a marathon goal.
1: Right. So then I was going to ask you, Chris. So he said that his goal is to eventually qualify for Boston, but he wants to spend a couple years developing his half. As a coach, would you, wouldn't, would you want him to do marathons now or would you be okay with him spending a couple years just focusing on the half? If his ultimate goal is to qualify for <laughs> Boston...
0: It's a good question, Jen. (laughs) i sorry. I'd be curious. I like it. I like it. I'd be curious to get your perspective on this too. And here's my perspective. I I could be convinced if somebody just said, hey, I've got a three and five year old. I'm not looking to do 20 mile runs right now. I'm trying to lay a foundation and running a fast half in order to set myself up for a BQ. I could be convinced that that plan makes sense because I think most people don't actually spend enough time Work in the half marathon. If they're trying to fo- qualify for Boston, they end up spending all their time cycle to cycle run, working the marathon, which actually limits potentially their long-term potential. And so, I could be convinced. And I don't know what. I mean, I guess if you're turning forty, your BQ is what three ten at that level. Mm-hmm. And so, if if he said, "Hey, I want to try to figure out how to run a one twenty-eight half marathon over the next few years," Then I can go up and be prepared to run a 310 marathon. I could be convinced with the caveat that Ben would be doing, you know, 18 mile long runs in his (laughs) half marathon box. (laughs) So, yeah, you wouldn't (laughs) be doing 20 milers, but you would be building Uh that overall volume so that you're doing up to 16 to 18 mile long runs fairly regularly during that two to three year window, which would not only maximize your half marathon potential, but also when you go to the marathon, you're going to be primed and ready to make that leap up to 20 mile long runs, which isn't a big deal, right? If you've gotten to that point. So that would be my answer. What would you say?
1: So I, I agree with you, except that I would also add, and I'm sure you would add this too, but I think that To get better at the marathon you also have to race marathons and so this is true yeah (laughs) uh and if you if you take someone that is just a great half marathoner usually they can transition to a marathon but there are a lot of other mental ass like mental challenges that come into play with the marathon and also physical challenges and so i agree about the 18 mile long runs for the half um, training schedule but maybe not at first maybe if you're not used to that you build up to that over the next couple of years but but I would also recommend racing marathons and knowing that you know it's going to take some time and it's to be patient and don't expect to qualify just because you ran a half that says you should be able to qualify in a full I think that's a mistake that people make
0: yeah yeah, and I, I mean I think that's a great point and if if I had my My preference, if I was going to be prescriptive to Ben, I would say, (laughs) let's try to do a couple of marathons over a three-year period, mixing in a a bunch of halves as well. So it's not like he would have to be totally sold out for the marathon, but at least get a couple in over the three-year period that he describes so that when he does make that shift, he understands the associated challenges. And it sounds like he does already, but there are some things to work on, as you said there, that are different and unique and require practice (laughs) so so there you go Ben thank you for sending in the question I think that actually perfectly primes up this topic because a lot of those elements we can actually come back to in our conversation so we're going to talk about building a marathon plan here and Jen you were the primary architect of our fall plan this year and one thing we like to do is is definitely evolve our plans, but there are certain core elements that are in all of them. And if you want to go back to just core base training principles, you can listen to episode one if you haven't already because that will give you some of those foundational things. So we're going to talk less about the philosophy of training and more how you apply that philosophy in the context of a training block development. And so for this... And I'm just going to use these dates as a reference point for people so that they can understand. We've got a bunch of people training for the Toronto Marathon October 20th. -hmm. We started our training for that the first week in May. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at our schedule that goes from that first week in May until October 20th, that's 25 weeks. It's a 25-week marathon plan. And I've mentioned this on a podcast recently about goal setting when i was talking to james and we were talking about why people miss their goals and part of the reason why is that they like to to short circuit their (laughs) their blocks of training particularly for the marathon where people can think that in 12 to 16 weeks they can put together a marathon plan and we like something that would be more like 20 to 25 weeks so that you can properly build that foundation so First question is, you know, if you're thinking about those 25 weeks, how is it structured at the highest level? What are the phases that you're building into the plan to appropriately build to that peak in October?
1: Uh, so we start, well, I started, we started with a base phase. Um, our base phase, the cycle was six weeks long. Sometimes base phases can be Shorter, uh, four weeks. Sometimes they can even be eight weeks, just depends on how much time you have. Uh, during our base phase, we're doing workouts, but they're light. There are no paces involved with the workouts, which I think is great for runners. Um, and it's an opportunity for runners to build mileage in a safe environment without a lot of intensity. Though there are still workouts, and we did challenge runners this time around with doing uh workouts without as many breaks like with the straights and curves that workout we we changed this season and normally we would take a 400 meter jog recovery in between either like every six laps and this time around we did not do a a jog recovery um but we're working back on like strides and drills and um a little bit of speed work but again nothing with pace just slowly building our mileage and Throwing in some some work, but not a lot of work.
0: Effort-based yes. workouts.
1: I love effort-based workouts. Yes.
0: <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I don't know if you've used this term, but I have for this phase, which I actually like to call it the priming phase more than I call it a base phase. Okay. Partially because in a traditional base phase... You don't do
1: any of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in, a, in a traditional base phase, old school style, right. you just do only easy running primarily to build mileage and what we've learned through the years and various coaches have as well is that you really need some quality effort-based quality work in there early on to prime the muscles and the aerobic Mm -hmm. system for the work that will come so that when you do start adding in more intense workouts, the system isn't completely shocked.
1: Right. I haven't used that term, but I like it. (laughs) I might use it now. (laughs) So
0: the priming phase, AKA the base phase, you said six weeks.
1: Yeah. In this cycle, we're using six yep. weeks. Yep.
0: And then after that, what's next?
1: So after that, I l- like to call the next phase a strength phase, but you can also call it a fundamental phase, which is what I called it in our, uh, in our syllabus. Um, and so in this phase, um, you can, i this is when you introduce workouts with paces. Um, this is when you introduce tempo runs or what I like to call lactic threshold runs. Um, and some other workouts. We have some new ones this phase, but you can, you have a lot of different workouts that you can kind of add into this phase because you're, you can work a lot of different energy systems during this phase. Um, and just getting runners ready for not only, uh, the physical demands of what they're going to be racing in a marathon, but also the uh, mental demands as well.
0: How long is that?
1: And this phase Uh, this training cycle, it is seven weeks, but it can, it can be longer or shorter.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Seven, eight weeks is typical. The strength phase. And I think that word is commonly misunderstood in this context. Some people think of body strength or muscular strength when you use that word. And really what we're talking about here is aerobic strength, which another word I like to use for that is endurance or basically your ability to sustain Mm less intense paces for longer and longer periods of time so mm-hmm. we're trying to to build this endurance base what you might see and there's going to be some leg strength components because often these phases incorporate hill work mm-hmm. but what you're going to see in this phase is workouts that are typically either either have hills involved or are slightly lower intensity but longer intervals with shorter rest Mm -hmm. so that you can work on that ability to sustain those comfortably hard efforts for longer and longer periods of time so that when we go into the next phase you're ready to build speed and race specific pacing so that's our strength phase seven eight weeks to follow and then what do we have after that
1: our race specific phase so this phase depends on, um, what your goal race is. So if it's your half, if a half marathon, like we talked about before, then you would be doing a lot of, you would be adding in more half marathon prep work, uh, for this training cycle, we're focusing on the marathon. So we have more marathon pace work, but we also keep in the speed. We keep in, um, foundations that you need in racing in general, um, and to be fit as an overall runner. We also add in race preps or long run workouts into this phase as well. So the workouts just get a little bit more intense <laughs> during this phase.
0: So you've got more spe- more pure speed. You've also got more race specific work. Mm-hmm. Those are the two hallmarks of quality work in this phase of training. And also as you said we'll be adding in our long run workouts primarily here some will start a little bit before that yeah. but primarily this is where you're actually doing marathon pace work inside your long run or variations of that how long is this phase
1: This phase well it because we wrote a program for so many different marathons but if we were looking at just the October 20th race then this phase would be Eight weeks.
0: Yep. So another typically seven, eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you have the last phase of training, which I think is fairly common for people to hear about, which is that taper phase where you cut down the volume a little bit, cut down the intensity a little bit, prep the body for your actual race day, which for marathoners is typically a three week period of time some people like a little bit shorter personally 2 weeks is my is my favorite as an individual mm-hmm. athlete but i think most people a 3 week taper is most appropriate for the marathon another word for that taper phase that i like to use is peaking phase which sort of implies that it's a more positive i think framing of this this phase of work which can be a little bit maddening when you start to cut back on things
1: well peaking is that's what we used in in track and field and in college and then i when you come into marathon training everyone says taper but i always called it peaking as well Yeah. yeah so
0: so then so that's three weeks at the end so we're looking at just to summarize six weeks of base building seven weeks of strength Eight weeks of race-specific race mm-hmm. work and then a three-week taper. If I'm doing my math right, I think that came out too. Sh-
1: I think yours is, tw- I think it's supposed to be 24 weeks. 24 weeks, yeah. weeks yeah. instead yeah. of 25?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, were cl- we were close. I was estimating slightly wrong at the beginning. So a 24-week cycle. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of people are going to listen here and say, that's crazy. That's six months of time. How can I train for a marathon for six months? I've got life. I've got other things to do. Like this is nuts. What would you say to that?
1: Well, I would say that the marathon is an extremely challenging race. And if you have a goal for it and you want to do well, then you need to put in the time and the consistent work. However, um, with doing a training schedule that is this long, there are opportunities for if you get sick or if life happens or if you travel, that's not really a problem because you've been doing work and and then you're going to do some more work afterwards, right? So we build into the schedule m- many 20 plus mile long runs so that if you miss one, it's not a big deal. If you miss one workout, it's, it's okay. Um, and so I think it's, I think you need six months if you want to do well, but I also think that there's some flexibility in there. And if you've been running and you have been consistent with your training and you want to do a shorter build, that's absolutely possible.
0: You're talking about for somebody who has a consistently, relatively consistently high mileage year round. And then...
1: So like a team rogue athlete for me, I can... I can do a much shorter build.
0: Because they could go into a race specific phase more quickly because they've already got that foundation. Right, correct. But that foundation is so important. It's just like to use a building analogy. If you build a house and you don't build the foundation, the house is going to fall apart. Right. And the same is true with any training program. You've got to build that foundation. We talk about it around here is you have to be fit enough to train basically. And so that initial period of six weeks plus the strength of about 13 weeks is getting yeah. you fit enough to train so that when you do get into that race specific work, your body's actually ready to receive it so that you can then reach your highest potential. The house will, will go higher. There will be more stories if you have the proper yes. foundation. And go can ahead. I,
1: I just want to say one thing that, um, When I was coaching high school runners, the season was broken up into two, uh, into track season and cross-country season. But those kids would train for six months for one race, just like marathoners, and even though it was a much shorter race. So there's, I mean, there are runners that train for a mile or a a 5,000 meter race, and they will train for six months to prepare for that race, even though it's much shorter.
0: Yeah. Now, the other difference there is they're having also races in between Which we can talk about too here, which there's obviously always opportunity to build in some prep races as you go so that you have some checkpoints along the way Mm -hmm. to see where you are. But let's get to that in a second. Okay. I want to talk about our three-week cycles. So the other thing we do within the context of our program is we have two up weeks and then a down week. Mm -hmm. So we go through that basically the entire time until you get to the taper phase when you are basically just gradually shifting down. Why three-week cycles, and then kind of how does that look like?
1: Um, well, why three-week cycles? It's a nice, happy medium. Some coaches will do a four-week cycle, and some will do a two-week cycle. Um, I personally like three weeks because I think that it works for um, the majority of people. Having two up weeks and then allowing your body to have a recovery week every third week That third week is usually when your body's starting to feel the effects from the two weeks before. And so it's a good time for mental and physical for your body to just have a kind of I call it a regeneration week for your body to kind of regenerate and um, recoup and also reap the benefits of the two previous hard weeks. We usually it takes about two weeks for your body to feel effects from workouts. So that's why we do a three week cycle.
0: Yeah. 10 days to two weeks to incorporate the work. And so we're doing two up weeks. I also like the fact that it actually simulates a 10 day cycle, which a lot of elite athletes Mm -hmm. will use basically, but it kind of crams it into the context of our weekly work weeks, which actually makes it work. So you're doing basically two 10 day cycles, but structured in a way that allows you to actually work during the week and do your long runs on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So two up weeks and then a down week. A down week is typically about 10 to 20% lower in overall volume. You're cutting back primarily your long run, a few runs during the week. Mm -hmm. You're still doing workouts during those down weeks. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we like to incorporate some shorter, faster work during those down weeks in order to keep the system turned on and Mm -hmm. and, the legs and muscles primed for the up weeks to come but it's an important part of the stress rest cycle because you're basically allowing your body to recover from that work so that when you go back to your up weeks, you've actually incorporated your fitness and can build from there. One thing though, that's funny to me about down weeks is to me, they often feel the shittiest. (laughs) Everybody's always wondering like, I feel terrible. My mileage is lower. What's happening? And it's like, Your body's recovering, and so that's why you feel terrible. It's sort of like when you feel terrible in a marathon taper. It's the same kind of concept. The body's basically exhaling, breathing out, incorporating the work that you've done, and it's not going to feel great when you do that. And so sometimes those down weeks feel worse than the up weeks.
1: Yes. But that's why we keep in the speed work, too, is to just kind of keep the legs awake and keep you feeling fresh so you don't get completely flat
0: going in. Yeah. So now I want to talk about long runs. And again, we're talking about the marathon here. So obviously we're building up to 20 plus mile long runs. When you're writing a schedule that goes for 24, 25 weeks, Mm -hmm. how do you build a long run plan?
1: Well, here at Rogue, we have three different, um, levels for our long runs. So right, we have a beginner, we have an intermediate and we have an advanced. Um, and that's not including, uh, the team rogue groups. And so for a beginner, I think about if they've never done a marathon and this is their very first time to train for a marathon. Um, we're going to build them a lot slower as far as, and we have plenty of time, which is great. And we can allow for their body to adapt to the mileage slowly, whereas an intermediate runner and advanced runner, we can build them a lot faster. We can get them going into the long runs without... Such a gradual build. So, our beginners and our wor- and our long runs, they'll do, there's two 20 milers, uh, 20 to 22 milers on the schedule, but that's mainly if they miss one or if one goes like poop, then they can come back and have another one and still feel good before their race. Um, and then our intermediate, they're gonna have more. So, usually, I think it's four is what we have in there. And then for our advanced, it's anywhere between five and six of the 20s. 20 plus mile long runs. Um, but again, it builds, it builds gradually for the beginner. It builds a little bit. Um, there's a little bit more rigor in the intermediate and uh, um, a lot more rigor in the advanced c- because we're just assuming that the advanced is someone who's been doing marathons for a while. Uh, advanced and beginner and intermediate has nothing to do with pace, by the way.
0: So it's more about experience. Mm-hmm. So two long runs, two 20 plus milers for that level one beginner four for intermediate potentially more than five or six for the advanced athlete oftentimes I get the comment that that's a lot (laughs) when, when I have people joining our groups and it's definitely more than you might see on a program that you pull off the internet why do we believe in so many 20 milers
1: well you have to train for what the race is going to ask of you and if you've I don't know. I've done not as many marathons as you, Chris, but I feel a lot better and more prepared going into a marathon when I've done a lot of 20 milers um, because it prepares me for what I'm going to experience in the race. That quad fatigue, the dead legs, all of those things that you feel you need to prepare for. And then, of course, there's also the scientific neuromuscular, all of the, all of the fun stuff. But I, I just think of what we would need to be prepared for the race.
0: As Bill Squires says, the long run puts the tiger in the cat. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we're trying to do with these 20 milers. So, and when you build this, the actual schedules, regardless of which level we're talking about, are you working backwards from race day? Always. Yeah. (laughs) So you're working backwards. You write down your race day. Then you're kind of working backwards from there. You've got your taper weeks, Mm -hmm. which you'll have a couple of those. Usually we like to do 8 to 12 miles a week out, Mm -hmm. 14 to 16, two weeks out. Mm -hmm. And then typically your last 20 mile run, three weeks out if you're following a three week taper. And then basically you back up from there Mm -hmm. back to your starting point, depending on how long you're building this cycle. And because again, we've got a 24 week cycle here, that's plenty of time to build. Some of the rules of thumb that I like to use when I'm building long run plans. Cause what I'll typically do is I'll start from the end and kind of build up from there, you know, get all my 20 milers written down and then I'll go back to the beginning and sort of marry like meet the two in the middle yeah, a little absolutely. bit Absolutely. just to make sure that it seems to make sense from both, both perspectives, both you're, you're getting enough work at the end, but then you're also building gradually enough from the beginning. Right. And a couple of rules of thumb that I like to do. One is that especially for somebody who is, typically not a marathon athlete i like to build by a mile a week mm-hmm. initially or no more than a mile a week initially sometimes keeping the same distance for a couple of weeks up to about 10 miles once you get to 10 miles then i feel more comfortable jumping by mm-hmm. by chunks of yeah, two yeah, that's what i do too where you'll go 10 maybe up to 12 up to 14 etc wanting to make sure that you're getting that athlete comfortable with every step of the way never you never want to jump a long run by more than 2 miles because you don't have that foundation
1: right i uh, know i agree 100%
0: what else do you look at when you're building these long run plans
1: what
0: what else do you look at
1: um i look at uh, or consider i know you i uh where i'm going to put the workouts okay so um, let's talk about that yeah
0: and that's again something we is a hallmark of our programming where we're adding in long run pace work or or pace work inside of our long runs. We call them race preps, basically helping you prepare for race day by doing some race specific pacing inside the long run. Mm -hmm. How do those typically fall?
1: So, um, it, it depends with each different block, but, um, I like the race preps to make sure that I'm working, um, maybe a different energy system than we've already worked that week. So that we're not working the same system over and over again. And we're, we're kind of having some variety with, with what we're working. And then, um, I always look at what is the, again, what are, what is an athlete going to go through during a marathon, um, at different stages? And then how can we best prepare them with different workouts that simulate those same feelings? So, you know, just recently my team did a, a workout this weekend, the ones that are training for a September race. And they did, um, kind of this, Five sets of ten minutes at a aerobic threshold, and then ten minutes at an easy pace. And they all said, "Oh, the aerobic threshold was so easy, but the the easy part was so hard because their legs started to really." Because I give them a lot of rest, right? A lot of of jogging recovery, and that's when everything kind of sets in. And so that to me is is the simulator is those last easy parts of their workout where their legs just feel really heavy and sluggish, and then they have to like get up and go again. Um so that's yep. I mean I'm usually thinking through what is the race going to ask whether it's, you know, Austin or Toronto. Um and then how can we best prepare them with a long run a race simulator.
0: Yep. And we'll typically do our last simulator 3 weeks out, yeah. sometimes 4 weeks mm-hmm. out depending on how the schedule falls from race day mm-hmm. so that you have that final simulator as close as possible while still allowing a taper to race day and then We'll do three to four of these race preps throughout a season. Typically, this is only for your intermediate and advanced athletes, beginners. It's really just all about covering the distance. Mm -hmm. So doing all of those long runs at easy paces. And and those race prep workouts will be typically three weeks apart so that you have plenty of opportunity to recover Mm -hmm. between them.
1: And we give multiples because... I mean, one, you get the physiological benefit and the mental benefit, but also if one goes to shit, then you still have another one or a previous one that you can gain confidence from going into your race. We also have long run closes, which are probably the old school way of just running with a group and getting faster as you go. (laughs) But we prescribe it in our long runs to make sure everybody um, practices finishing fast
0: a progression at the yeah. end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How how long typically do you recommend on the closes?
1: So four miles for uh, marathons, um, three for half marathoners. Yeah, three
0: or four mile close, mm-hmm. which is just a progressive in control. Yeah, finish where you're finishing a little faster than easy pace, but doing it in a way that you don't beat yourself up and feel completely taxed at the end. And in this in this prep, as I'm looking at the schedule, we have long run race, preps, three, six, and nine weeks out from Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then we've got some closes built in around that as well, just to make sure that we're finishing fast and Mm -hmm. developing that nose for the finish line that we like to see in our athletes. And again, that's primarily for those intermediate or advanced athletes, whereas beginners, we just want you covering the distance. Okay. So that's long run schedule. The next thing I wanted to talk about is weekly structure, Mm -hmm. how we structure our weekly schedule. And typically for marathoners, we're recommending five to six days per week of running with one or two off days, depending on what your starting point is. Yes. But how, how are the, how is each day structured in a week? What are the purposes of each day? How does it fit together across a seven-day schedule?
1: So if you're doing your quality workouts on a Tuesday, then we have our schedule set up to where Monday is an easy day. Um, If you're going to run, we have up to a certain amount of mileage, but we don't tell you exactly how much to run. We kind of leave that up to the runner, the individual. Um, We just have a max of what they would want to run on that Monday. So an easy day. And then Tuesday would be their quality day. Wednesday would be a recovery day to recover from the quality workout. Um, So it's a little bit lower mileage if they're going to run. Or, again, they could take that as an off day if they needed to, a day to do maybe the elliptical or aqua jogging or swimming, whatever they want to do. And then Thursday we have our medium long run, um, which builds just like our long run schedule builds. And that is a run that uh, is in between your kind of Monday easy run and then your long run. So it, it builds as a schedule. It gets up to anywhere between 8 to 12 miles. Um, you'll see some schedules that use a medium long run that have longer medium long runs depending on the mileage. So ours is, is pretty medi. I mean, I think it's kind of in the in-between stage of, of what a medium long run is. And then Friday's an off day, Saturday's a long run, and Sunday's a recovery. You can't always switch that Friday. If you are a runner that likes to run on Fridays, then you could switch your Monday with your Friday to have some flexibility there.
0: And that's just one example. We obviously have differently structured weeks depending on when the groups might meet. But a key hallmark there is only one quality workout, which some people would call that a speed workout a week. Mm And that workout might look very differently depending on the day. Sometimes it's hills, sometimes it's fartlek, sometimes it's more tempo-oriented work, sometimes it's going to the track. It has a lot of variety to it depending on the phase, but we believe that one quality workout for most athletes can actually get the job done. And those, And we would rather, instead of doing two quality workouts a week, for people actually invest time in that medium long run. Mm-hmm. I I personally call the medium long run the unsung hero of marathon mm-hmm. training because it's that day that nobody really wants to do but it's and it's in in my world for athletes I coach I say if you're a marathoner who wants to get the most out of the marathon you should be doing 8 to 10 miles at least mm-hmm. for the medium long run easy paces on another day <laughs> at least a couple of days away from your quality workout. For me, I coach on Wednesday morning. So my group typically will do their medium long run on Mondays. Mm -hmm. That's the unsung hero of marathon training because you're getting that easy aerobic work, that long, slow distance as, as Arthur Lydiard called it Mm -hmm. in order to build that aerobic foundation so that you can run fast when it's time and then you know, so that's important. The recovery days also important. Very important. Because that's, as, as Marilyn, who came on the show, says, motion is lotion. <laughs> and so those days are all about motion to get the blood flowing, to kickstart that recovery process. Sometimes when people feel sore after a speed workout or after a long run, they say to me, well, I shouldn't run today. I feel oh. too sore.
1: You should totally run. And go really easy. And
0: (laughs) to me, it's actually the opposite. The more sore you are, the more you need it. I know. And certainly you always need it, but but soreness is actually a sign that you need that easy movement in order to recover and get the blood flowing back to your muscles so that they can heal and prepare you for that next hard day. I personally as a coach see one of the most common injury Patterns coming from when people are doing quality workouts and then long runs without a re- easy recovery day in between. It's that hard session to hard session with no active rest that really gets people a lot of a lot of the time, especially with those soft tissue injuries. So, got to have your recovery days. And then that other easy day you mentioned in this case on Monday could also be a cross-training day mm-hmm. if if somebody's looking to do. Fewer running days—five running days a week could be a cross-training day. We were doing some sort of other easy aerobic activity. Could also be another off day for some if you if you can only manage five days a week. But that five or six-day week schedule is important. There are programs out there that have less than that for marathons, yeah. including the famous Runner's World: "Run less, run faster." Program, which I think has a three day a week schedule, which is really beyond absurd if you want to get the most out of your body and try yeah. to run your fastest for a marathon. But quickly comment on that.
1: On the three day a week? Yeah. Well, um, my rule of thumb is that in running, to be a better runner, you have to run, right? It's a contact sport and it requires contact with the ground. Um, and if you wanted to learn how to play the piano, you wouldn't play the piano twice a week. You would want to play the piano multiple times, if not every, every day. I'm not saying that you have to run every day, but I do think that having that contact with the ground and also having the stimulus and all of the benefits, um, neuromuscular benefits that come with actually doing the sport are incredibly beneficial especially if you're going to be training for a marathon. If you want to have your best marathon. I do coach people that only run 3 days a week. I will say that. I have tem- Team Rogue athletes that just cannot commit to doing more than 3 days, but I also will tell you that they are very talented and they could be so much faster <laughs> if they were. They're not more. maximizing <laughs> their potential. No, they're not.
0: <laughs> so, let's just talk a little bit about ranges for each of those days just to kind of give people context for that you know for that easy day on Monday again using that Tuesday quality schedule just as an example you know you're building that Monday run up in those cases to up to 6 or 7 miles for 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 that easy day Monday our typically our Tuesday quality workouts are going to be anywhere from 6 to 8 miles depending on the workout and the part of the schedule that we're in those recovery days could be anywhere from three to from three to six miles typically in our base schedule that medium long run eight to 12 for marathoners is what we like to get people up to and then of course the long run is going to be you know up to 22 miles in most of our schedules and then we have again the sunday recovery day which is again a three to six mile day and so that's that's pretty typical now when you're building those days mm-hmm. across the schedule, because obviously you're not going to start out at an eight to twelve mile medium long run, how do you think about the build of those days within the overall schedule
1: so uh just the same way I do as the long run, so a very gradual during the base phase, that's when we're building up so for instance, on Monday, you could start the first two weeks at four miles, the next two weeks at five, and then six and so you would gradually build it just like you would with your long run schedule. Same thing for the medium long run. We have a range, so it would be four to six for the first couple of weeks, and then five to seven for the next couple of weeks, and then six to eight. And then we don't get until about week 13 uh, to the eight to 12 range, um, even week 15. So because we also have the down weeks and we don't want to exclude those because they're really important. So every down week we also we'll drop the mileage um and those other those other days of running just like we would with our long run and our quality one run
0: one thing though that is unique about what we do here with this especially given the length of our schedules is that people are getting to their peak mileage potentially 10 weeks out 9 10 weeks out from their race day whereas if you look a lot a lot of online schedules. People will hit that peak mileage maybe three or four weeks out from race day. And that's again a hallmark of what we're doing, which is that we're giving you that time to build that aerobic foundation mm-hmm. so that when the work the workouts get most intense, you've already built your mileage to the level it's gonna sustain versus continuing to try to build your mileage while the quality work is getting its most intense and that's when you start to get too many variables at play, which can cause injury late in the cycle. So talk a little bit about the rationale there.
1: (laughs) Sometimes Chris, when you say something and you already say the answers, it's really not fair. (laughs) Um, yeah. So we, yes, Chris, I agree. Yes, Chris, you are (laughs) correct. Um, no, I, yeah, we, we build up the mileage so that during the last phase, your race specific phase, which is, your most intense phase because of those long run workouts and because the long runs are really increasing and distance and you're doing more 20 milers or you're at 20. Um, we want the mileage. We want the week, the weekday schedule to, to not be something where you're also increasing at the same time. You never want to increase, you know, too much mileage and too much intensity. And you definitely don't want to increase at the same time um, too much of those together. So we, we try to be very mindful and because we have a long time, we can easily do that with this type of schedule. Um, yeah. So like what Chris said,
0: (laughs) so the other rule of thumb you often hear in the context of these schedule builds is the 10% rule, never increase mileage by more than 10%. What do you think about that?
1: So I think it, It depends Um, if I have a runner who's coming back from an injury and they're starting with, you know, 10 miles a week, I can quickly move them back up to where they were before without it being a 10% rule. Um, However, with some of my team rogue athletes, I actually do less than 10%. So we do sometimes a 5% or a 3% depending on how high their mileage is, um, So, and, and depending, and I also don't, if someone had run, let's say 65 miles a week, the last training block, which was, let's say a 20 week block, then this next training block, I probably wouldn't increase them more than, uh, 10% over each block. So over each big cycle.
0: So 10% from week to week, as well as not increasing overall mileage by more than 10%, which I think I do think that rule can be flexed a little bit for athletes that start from a lower base. You know, if you've been doing 30 miles a week in a previous cycle and 10% of that's only three miles. So, yes, taking you to maybe 40 miles a week might actually be okay if you do it the right way. Yeah. The other thing I think to mention here is that, you know, we can write these schedules or you can write your own schedule at home for building your mileage but it doesn't preclude listening to your body Mm -hmm. and actually adapting as you go. I think some people become a slave to the build in a sense that if it says the schedule says it, they're going to do it no matter how Mm -hmm. they feel. And then they end up running, running themselves into the ground. And so that's something else to pay attention to. If you're working on a schedule at home, or if you're even, if you're following another build schedule from somewhere else, it's just don't forget to listen to your body. And if your body says you're not ready to take that next jump, whether it be in weekly mileage or in your long run distance, just don't do it. It's better to get to the start line healthy than it is to do too much too soon and end up on the sideline. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh. so that's sort of weekly schedule. Let's talk a little bit about workouts throughout the cycle just to give people some examples. Okay. And we mentioned already in that base phase or priming phase some straights and curves that we're doing, some effort-based work. So let's let's go to the next phase, strength. And this week we actually have on the schedule a workout that you've stolen from your college coach. We're calling it the lumberjack twist. And so give us a little taste. This is a workout we're doing in the strength phase. I really like this one, by the way.
1: Oh yay! <laughs>
0: and we call it the Lumberjack Twist because you went to SFA S- Stephen F. Austin yes. here in Texas in Texas, and we were their the mascot were the, l- was the Lumberjacks, <laughs> taken from your college coach. And so, talk about the Lumberjack Twist as an example.
1: Okay, uh, so in this particular uh, workout, we're gonna have hills, which again we talked about previously. We like to touch hills whenever we're in the strength phase. Um, and so we're going to start with some hill sprints. Um, this could be anywhere between four and six or seven hill sprints. You could do up to eight hill sprints if you wanted to, um, to really fatigue the legs. Also, I like hill sprints because to me, they're like a VO two max workout in disguise. Uh, they get your heart rate up. They make your legs tired and they're just a speed workout in disguise. So We start with that and then we go into aerobic threshold work, which to me is one of the most important types of workouts um, a marathoner can do. Aerobic threshold is how fast you can run all out for two hours. So for some runners, that's going to be their half marathon pace. And for other runners, it could be their 30k race pace. So we'll do some amount of minutes of, of aerobic threshold work I think we have about 15 minutes of work in there and then we go back and we finish with hill sprints again and then we come back three weeks later we'll do this workout again and this time we'll finish with another aerobic threshold section um yeah, what are absolutely. we trying
0: to do with this? What's what's the purpose?
1: What's the purpose? Well, every purpose of every workout <laughs> is to prepare you for your race, right? So yes. um, this purpose of this workout is to fatigue the legs and then go into something, which is a control. So aerobic threshold is a controlled push. I like to think of it as a, a steady effort. So you're very controlled in what you're doing. You're very relaxed, but you're still pushing the pace. You're still working. And so that's... Hopefully, if we do this correctly, we're tired a little bit when we get to that, so that we can focus on that mental, um, the mental push. The help. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my words here, Chris. (laughs) So
0: you can find the focus on finding that rhythm. Finding a
1: rhythm. Thank you. And then we'll come back to the hills, which, if you ever, you know, any race that you do, at the end it's hard. Your legs are tired. You've been pushing, and now you're gonna have to finish with something even harder which is like the last 5k of your marathon or the last 5k of your half and we're gonna push again we're doing hill sprints so we're looking at popping up those popping up those hills and using good form and driving our legs and all of that good stuff i can't talk anymore
0: that's okay (laughs) i love it but yeah the hills are really about fatigue generating that fatigue so that it so then you have to work a little bit harder On that aerobic threshold Mm -hmm. or steady effort work, which is another word I like to use for it. So that you can have to practice holding that effort under fatigue like you do in a marathon. Other workouts that we'll do in this phase, lactate threshold is another thing we like to hit, which is basically the pace or effort you can hold for an hour. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit faster than aerobic threshold. It's more like a a tempo-ish Kind of effort maybe a little faster than that, depending on the runner and but it's all about in this phase that uh, that aerobic strength or those sustained efforts with shorter rest yeah. and then we go into the next phase that race specific phase. Mm-hmm. Let's pull an example from there. How about the Dellinger? This <laughs> is a new workout to the rogue world, so I'm excited to talk about it
1: okay, all right, hold on um, so I just I got this workout, well, I kind of adapted it from Bill Dillinger's book, um, and now I can't remember the name of the book, but I have it. It's really old. Famous and
0: University <laughs> of Oregon coach. Yes. Coach, and he,
1: he coached Prefontaine. Yeah. Steve
0: Prefontaine <laughs> there, Yeah. as well as Bowerman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But Dillinger was really, he was, um, I think, more hands-on at that time than, than Bowerman was with the athletes. Yep. Um, and my college coach at SFA went to uh, University of Oregon and she, she met Bill Dillinger and I love this story and I'm sorry, Chris, I have to tell it. <laughs>
0: Bring it, I love you.
1: So when she came back from meeting him, all of a sudden we had all these tempos on our schedule for cross country season and they were long, they were like five mile tempos and I had never done anything like that. And so we asked her, we said, why are we doing all these tempo runs? And she said, well, it's the one workout that Bill Dillinger said, you couldn't keep up with pre-on. It was a workout you can't cheat. It was, you can't cheat doing a tempo run. Right, for that long, especially. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, the Dillinger workout is basically we're doing gear changing. um, So we're alternating between different gears. Um, It's also, I think he calls it in the book a surging drill is what he actually calls the workout. so we're—I have to actually look it up because I don't have it memorized. I wish I did. <laughs>
0: it's okay. So you can
1: keep. Why don't you talk about it, Chris? And well, I'll I look mean, it up. The, so
0: it's an in and out workout, which is yeah. something that is is a hallmark of our training. Some, certainly, mm-hmm. something we've done before. So this is not new to our world. It is this specific version of it is new. But what you're trying to accomplish with these in and out workouts is is alternating between, typically a faster pace with a pace that's closer to race pace, which helps you not only learn to recover, quote unquote, recover at or near your race pace, but also basically learn to get back into that rhythm. So learn that rhythm so that if something happens in a race, you slow down at a water stop, you know, somebody runs in front of you and you have to adjust your pace, then you're able to kind of dial back in easily. So what's the Dellinger now that you've looked it up?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, So you start off, I'll I'll just do the intermediate workout um, because that's kind of in between the beginner and the advanced. So you start off with 800 meters at 10K pace, and then you go right into two miles at marathon goal pace, then back down to 800 meters at 5K pace, and then another two miles at marathon pace, and then you finish with the 800 meters at 5K pace. And so the 800 meters at 10K, It's almost like the start of your marathon when you have all this nervous energy and you're all excited and you go out a little bit fast and then you've got to dial it back and you get back into your rhythm of your marathon pace. But then like Chris said, something goes wrong or maybe you have hills in your race and you've got to push up the hill and it gets your heart rate up a little bit higher than you'd like. Um, So we've got back down at 5k pace, which is really hard for a marathoner to go from marathon to 5k, then back to marathon, then Finishing back up at 5K, which I think is the kicker of the workout, because at that point, you've already done five miles of work. It's a continuous workout, so there's technically not a break, which makes it mentally very challenging. Um, And then you've got to finish with something at 5K pace, which probably will feel like all-out effort (laughs) at that point.
0: Yeah, so you're working on your clothes, too, and your ability to find that finish line, as we said earlier. So... That's a workout that we'll include late in that race-specific work, that race-specific phase. We also have the Michigan workout in that phase, which we've talked about before. We've got shorter track workouts. We've got a track ladder.
1: We also have a two-mile progression workout as well, which is another, again, we're practicing, we want to practice the way we want to race.
0: Doing two mile reps and cut down fashion, and getting a little yeah. bit faster as you go, and again, that's only in inside one quality workout each week. And if you're layering this cake appropriately, as well as building the overall mileage with that medium long run and that long run, we believe that that's your best path to getting to your peak potential for a marathon. Okay, let's talk about since we mentioned it earlier. Let's talk about prep races and where those typically fit now for us here in texas training for an october 20th marathon it's a little bit challenging because it gets too damn hot in texas to have anything like a half marathon in the window that would set up well for an october 20th race when do you like to see prep races for a marathon and what what do you like to see there
1: so I actually like any distance because I feel like all race experience helps you um, in a marathon. So even if it's as short as a 5k, if that's all we have available, then that's what I would recommend runners to do. Because I think just the nervousness, the energy that you're going to get from doing a 5k race and also the pain of the 5k, even though it's very different than a marathon, it's still having to get to a, an area in your your body where you don't want to go it's uncomfortable and so practicing getting uncomfortable is always good and so to me it's any distance um we don't have a lot of half marathons in august i would like i mean ideally i think doing a half marathon or a 10k a half marathon probably six weeks out a 10k two to four weeks out um but you could always do a 5k and those are also good to do. So I I don't want to discount those.
0: Yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, it makes you suffer and work on the mental side Mm -hmm. in whatever race format it comes. I'm I'm with you though. I like a half prep race four to six weeks out. Sometimes a little longer is okay. A 10k two to three weeks out, as you said, if it's there and obviously you have to then adjust your long run schedule a little bit around that. So you don't miss those 20 milers. Yeah. And but as you say, in this case in our world, five Ks or or for us Zilka Relays, mm-hmm. which is a two and a half mile times four, ten mile total team relay here in Austin is a perfect prep race that falls on September sixth this year, which is about six weeks out from Toronto. And that is a unique form of suffering that's gonna <laughs> prepare you on a september 6th friday evening to it's
1: my favorite race to
0: to actually suffer in in the longer race a little (laughs) bit better so yes you're right you can you can make it a 5k i do like to see some form of prep race before and if you can't find the perfect half which is a great distance for a marathon prep then finding that 5k or 10k that can at least help you practice the mental side of the game in whatever format race you can find it it can be really really helpful
1: i agree (laughs) when i did my first marathon my mom made me do the distance challenge because she said you have to practice all the races leading up to the marathon because that's how you'll go into the race prepared so practicing like your nutrition and what you're going to wear and your shoes and being nervous and going to the porta a potty and all those things, it really made a big difference for me.
0: One thing I do want to mention though on the, other, on the flip side is there are people that I think want to prep race too much and that can be a little bit dangerous, yeah. especially for marathon training because you don't want to miss those key long run opportunities. And so you have to be careful not to overdo it. But for those that have a race they want to do, there are ways to potentially work that in without making it an all out race. So Mm -hmm. you could if you want to do a half that, you know, I've had people say, this is my phone, my hometown half. I'm going home to do it. I want to do it. It's like, okay, fine. You're going to do 13 miles, though, and then have a 20 mile day Mm -hmm. because you're going to add four miles before and three miles after.
1: You can also do a double. There's a lot of different ways to to get in. So you can work it
0: different ways you can also treat the race as, mm-hmm. as what i like to call a training race where you're maybe not going all out but you're using it like a long run workout of sorts mm-hmm. trying to target specific paces that might be slower than your half marathon race pace in order to prepare for that race to come but you just want to make sure i mean it comes back to the question that we ask all the time around here uh, around rogue which is what does the race require mm-hmm. and if you have a big marathon with a big goal you want to make sure that the things you're doing leading up to that will actually benefit you for that race versus take away from it. And I think sometimes people get sucked into <laughs> this race bug that might cause them to do some things that aren't quite optimal for their goal race.
1: No, I agree. I agree. I I agree 100%. I think some people probably race a lot more than they they should if they have an a big A race goal. Um, you have to Definitely uh, plan accordingly and hopefully you have a coach that can help you and you're listening to your coach because usually they can see the bigger picture whenever as an athlete we can very, we can only see what's right in front of us or what we want to do. And even as myself as a coach, it helps to have someone else looking at my calendar to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: So one thing I want to talk about is nutrition, long run nutrition, Mm -hmm. especially. Before we get there, in, in in thinking about the scheduling structure, have we missed anything in, your, in the machinations in your <laughs> brain as to building one of these? Obviously, there's a lot more work and we're not hitting every little detail because we've got a, only an hour and change to talk about it. But any other big concepts that we're missing?
1: No, I mean, the only thing I would say about the taper is I think it's, important to note that we're not asking runners to take a bunch of extra days off during the taper. Mm. We still want them to continue with the frequency, uh, the number of days that they would run normally per week um, because there's a lot of benefit to that as opposed to cutting mileage by just cutting out days. So I
0: would. Yes. Yeah. Keep all those days. Keep your routine. Mm-hmm. It helps your body mm-hmm. stay sane and you stay sane mentally. My, my general taper rule now has, is not really related to percentage of mileage. I, I tell people to back off one mile per run per week during their taper, whether they're doing a three-week taper or a two-week taper, but keep all those days and do a minimum of three miles. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my general rule of thumb. Okay. So let's talk about nutrition, okay. long-run nutrition. At what point in the schedule would you tell a marathoner to start playing with that experimenting if they need to figure out what works for them during a race
1: so i would actually this uh, not this upcoming well this upcoming week right now we're in a down week but next week when this comes out we will not be in a down week and we'll be in it'll be july 1st and the long runs for our runners are going to be between 12 and 16 miles that week um, and if they're later marathoners it would be t- 10 to 16 I would say at this point, runners should be focused on practicing their, uh, long run nutrition routine of what they're going to do on race day. And so we're about nine weeks, nine in nine weeks in. Yep.
0: Yeah. The rule of thumb I give is when your long run gets over two hours, mm-hmm. it's time to start worrying Join about, about that, mm-hmm. which should be ab- about, about correlating to those mileage, just mm-hmm. those mileage levels before that. No need to worry about it. You want to make sure your body can actually burn its own fuel efficiently first, and then you can start adding it in. And if you're, but if you're doing a 24, 25 week schedule, about nine or 10 weeks in is about right. Assuming you don't know what works for you. Right. For those that do know, they could perhaps wait a little bit longer. Yeah. All right. That I think covers my, my questions, (laughs) Jen.
1: That was so easy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well, right. It's <laughs> like I just threw a softball right down the middle of the plate, you, <laughs> you, you hit it out of the park because this is what you do.
1: It's what I love.
0: So, okay. one one question I have for you though: if if someone other than obviously training with us, mm-hmm. as we wrap this up, if somebody was looking for a schedule, a program other than training with us, either in person or an, in our virtual podcast group, are there better resources that you found for? creating a schedule or following a schedule out there online uh y-
1: yes i think so uh not better than what we do but i think that there are, there are a few that i like more than others okay so um i like uh advanced marathoning if you're an advanced runner um i think they have schedules for 50 miles a week all the way up to over over 80 miles a week um, pete fitzinger's book mm-hmm, really yes. good book it, yeah, he's probably done my
0: favorite yeah. marathon training book. Yeah.
1: The first um, edition that he came out with did not have long run workouts, and then his second edition did. Um, but I trained for my first marathon with his first edition, and then I ended up getting his second edition later just because it was so much fun to read. Um, and then I also like Jack Daniels. Um, I think he's on his third edition now, but I think his stuff is also really Jack good. Jack Daniels running Formula. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Also. Those are both books, but have great schedules. Schedules in them, them. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think just being flexible too, like knowing that the schedule that's written needs to also work with your life. So you, when you switch up days around, um, just keeping in mind that why is that run on that day, and then where to place it. So that I think is the tricky part of of not having a coach and not having someone help you with your training.
0: Yeah, but if you've listened to enough of these podcasts, hopefully you're you're starting (laughs) to figure it out that you can take ownership and make those adjustments if you follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome, Jen. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks also for all you do here in the Rogue community it's been a real pleasure having you on.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: <laughs> and if you have questions for anybody out there, send us an email, chris at roguerunning.com. If you have questions and you're trying to build your own schedule, would love to answer those based on today's content. Otherwise, we will wrap this up. This has been episode 137 of the Running Rogue podcast. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.